Welcome to the Teaching Journeys podcast with Dave Roberts. A unique skill all humans have is the ability to share information across generations. And the Teaching Journeys podcast does just that. It creates learning opportunities with each amazing guest with a goal that each episode makes a positive impact on people worldwide. Before we hear from today's guest, please share this podcast with your family, friends, and colleagues, and don't forget to leave a rating, review, or both. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Teaching Journeys podcast. I am your host, Dave Roberts, and today I am very excited to have as my guest, Todd Cargus. Todd was trained by the Coactive Training Institute, one of the premier coaching education programs in the world, and internationally recognized by the International Coaching Federation, of which he is a member. After decades in corporate leadership, Todd found himself suffering from burnout and crippling anxiety about his own future. He needed help and found it through coaching. Through that relationship, he rediscovered his purpose, became reacquainted with his true values, and developed confidence and calmness. Todd's journey informs his passion for supporting people through transformation and change, Todd's coaching is designed to help his clients succeed in their professional and personal lives. In his spare times, you can often find him running, baking, reading, or co-hosting the linked live broadcast, The Curious Leader's Path. And Todd, hopefully you won't go running after this podcast (laughs) because I did such a lousy job. So welcome to the Teaching Journeys podcast. Uh, Thank you so much for having me, Dave. I'm really, really excited to be here with you. Todd and I met through, I, I like to call it pure serendipity. We found ourselves on a Quick Hits panel with uh, Dr. Robin Odegaard. And if you get a chance, subscribe to Quick Hits on YouTube. Robin does a great job yeah. uh, bringing people from diverse backgrounds together and having conversations about a variety of different topics. She's a master at just facilitating and interweaving different perspectives in creating an atmosphere where people will witness those perspectives without judgment. She's just great. Todd and I happened to meet on a panel. Um, it, we, we hit it off immediately, and I invited him on the podcast. So um, and today we're going to, I guess, take off on your philosophy of curious leadership, and we're going to talk about what I think is a lost art in this society is critical thinking. I agree with you. I think it is a lost art. Yep. I, I, I have discovered that over the last few years that it's, and as an educator, we try to instill critical thinking in our young adults. And I think they do a great job with it, but widespread, I think it's, it's not consistently applied. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's something that is a necessary skill if we're going to, we're going to navigate life in general. So. Mm -hmm. Well, and you're speaking, you're, you're, you're preaching to the choir on this one because, uh, you know, I went to university a long time ago and, and at the time that I did, uh, you know, my liberal arts education was, was all about critical thinking and, uh, and certainly, you know, uh, now the, the, the university students that I know are very, very interested in STEM and not that that isn't important, of course. Um, but, but just, uh, there's something about studying history and philosophy and literature that, that requires that kind of critical thing. Oh my God. I said that. And I just sounded like a giant snob. Edit that out. As, <laughs> as you wish, although I could edit it in and, and no, honestly, I didn't think you sounded like a giant snob at all because 
I, I think the arts are important to facilitate mm-hmm. that aspect of critical thinking. Yeah. There needs to be that balance, I think, between the arts and between the technical um, expertise that is required. Yeah. And I think you can interwoven both in the, in, mm-hmm. the, in the same setting. I think, you know, if you're teaching a death, dying, and breathing, of course, I teach. I always interwove critical thinking. In there. Yeah. And I think you can do that with anything, with any perspective that you present, regardless of the course. It's just, it's just, I don't think there's a one particular place yeah. for it. I think it applies everywhere. There's some joy and creativity in critical thinking that, uh, that doesn't exist in sort of, um, creating subject matter expertise, which is important too. Um, mm-hmm. but you know, when I'm amassing knowledge, I'm, I'm kind of just amassing someone else's knowledge rather than sort of, you know, contextualizing it and making it my own. Um, and that's something that's really sort of juicy about, uh, you know, about, well, in, in my experience anyway, about, you know, sort of philosophy, history and, and literature, um, in university, which some would say I never used, um, which, uh, which I guess is true because, you know, I didn't become a poet or a historian or a philosopher. Um, but, uh, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't give up that experience for anything because I think that it served me well. And I think in certain situations we can wax poetic and we can, we can philosophize. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. so I, I think the skills we learn from those classes can apply in anything that we do if yeah. we choose to apply those skills. So yeah. like I said, I think there's a place for just about everything, Todd, you know, that's good to know. Um, so well, I'm glad I didn't sound like a snob. No, you didn't. <laughs> and as the, the CEO of the teaching journeys podcast and the one man operation, I'm probably going to keep that in. So excellent. Oh, anyway. Alrighty. We've gotten a little bit into the critical thinking topic already, but tell just for the listener, our, my listeners may not sure. be familiar with you. Tell us about the event or events that have really shaped your life path. That's gotten you to the present moment and has gotten you doing what you're doing today. So interesting because there's probably half a dozen that I could, that I could come up with and, and I won't give you all half a dozen because that we'd be talking about that forever. But, um, I think, I think the thing that was really interesting for me was, um, when I was very young, like, you know, sort of just at the end of high school and going into university, um, I, I thought that my path would lead to the priesthood. Um, I went to a Catholic high school and, and I was starting into a Catholic university. Um, and, uh, and eventually I gave that up. And one of the reasons that I gave it up was, uh, was because I also discovered that I was gay. Um, and it didn't seem consistent to, uh, to go there and all the jokes that pop into my head about that are like, let's leave them on the back burner. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it just didn't seem, it didn't seem right. So I, you know, I, like I said, I studied literature. I loved it. It was fantastic. I was going to go into being, uh, a, a professor that didn't work out. And when I, when I sort of the second time around that I couldn't do what I wanted to do, I decided to start chasing money instead. And I don't regret making that decision because I've had a really robust corporate career. Um, and it's not surprising, but at, at the same time, I guess there was a moment when I realized, you know, I'd made enough money to know that it wasn't about the money and, and 
as I think of my coaching purpose now, one of the things that came to me was many of the reasons that coaching is important to me are the same reasons that ministry was important to me when I was very young. And, um, and I like that because it does kind of feel full circle. And certainly, you know, I wouldn't describe what I'm doing right now as ministry. Um, it's, it's not that grand. Um, but, but there is something about, uh, letting people, letting people feel seen and feel heard and, and authentically themselves in a way like without judgment. And I know that that was really important for me in my journey, um, towards, I guess it's not, escaping is the wrong word, sort of understanding what was really important for me to be doing. Um, so, so yeah, it, 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 it's, it's interesting because it was a full, like this, this, this realization took me about 35 years to figure out. <laughs> you know, and time is relative when it comes to our ongoing growth and evolution anyway. And yeah. it took me 55 years to come to peace with my father's abandonment when I was five years oh. old. And, but it's, I, I began at that age to understand that the reasons were deeper for him leaving. Right. His reasons were part of more of a system that he was a part of and in dysfunctional rules that were ingrained into his, his DNA that right. he couldn't, he couldn't, um, function in a traditional marriage. But it took me Todd, 55 years to come to peace with that, but also with the help of, of, uh, you know, one particular person along the path, um, by the name of Patty Farino, who's, um, uh, interfaith minister who helped me see that that connection so um mm -hmm. it's all relative when it comes to I'm, you know, we're, we're going to continue to evolve until the day that we're we start dancing in another dimension and exactly. by then we're still going to continue to evolve in that dimension yep. so that's certainly my hope that that is, that is mine too and that is yep. my my fervent belief that we will be doing that mm -hmm. in another dimension so excellent but how do you define critical thinking? I know there's a variety of different definitions, but for you, what yeah. is critical thinking? What does effective critical thinking look like? There's something personal about it. There's something um, creative about it. Um, it's not, I think we touched on this a little earlier. It's not just, uh, it's not just the data. It's the contextualization of the data. Um, you know, within, within a coaching context, one of the questions that we ask a lot, uh, of the time, whether it's group coaching, like teams or, or individuals is why is that important to you? And, and I think that that's sort of the gateway question oftentimes, um, between understanding the data and being critical within the context of the data. Um, because why something is important to me may very well be very different than why it's important to you, even if we both believe that it's important. And, and that, that combination and that relationship is, is just an example or a way that, that one topic or one piece of data can unfold in a really beautiful way. And, and I think within that context, that's where critical thinking lives. I like that. And, and I, I like the fact that it does involve an evaluative process, but we can interpret that content, you know, just based on our, what our belief system is, how mm -hmm. we view the world. And to me, 
as long as we are objectively evaluating information that comes to us, looking at all sides of it and finding our truth with it, within it, and whether that truth is we don't find any truth in it at all, mm-hmm. then we've satisfied that step. My, one of my bones to pick is that individuals will reject information that is not congruent with their belief system without looking at it. Yes. Yes. And that, that drives me to distraction because boy, I believe, and I tell my students is, look, your belief system is going to continue to evolve, but you don't have to abandon your core beliefs to engage in critical thinking. You can yes. take a look at aspects of a different perspective and say, how does this fit into my existing perspective? Yep. What parts of this can I utilize? What parts of this can I utilize? What parts could I possibly utilize down the road? What further do I need to look at for, you know, to, to make a, a objective judgment? Yeah. What's coming up for me as you're talking about that, Dave, is, um, is the role of identity within the context of critical thinking, because, um, you're right. And we live in an extraordinarily polarized world. Um, you know, and, and politics is the best example, like you're left or you're right, you're this or you're that, and you know, you're red or you're blue and, and, um, and there's no space in between, or at least that window in between is getting very, very narrow. And, and the reason that identity sort of seems to play a part because I've been that rigid in the past, um, where I haven't allowed things in, whether it's, you know, this or that or something else. And. And what I realized was in those moments, the times when I was most rigid, the times that I was most unlikely to entertain other opinions was when I felt like my identity was at risk, when it really genuinely felt existential. And, and if we can remove that, like, is this really an existential threat? Am I safe? Yes, I am. Okay. Well then I can be curious about what you have to say, even if it's different than what I might believe. Um, the, the the text that I go back to every single time and actually keep it on my wall because I never want to forget it. Um, that was, was my introduction to this was the four agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz and, and you're nodding. And, and, and so, you know, I know it's audio, but you know, I, so I'm glad that I touched on something. And the one for me that, that always pops up in these moments is don't take anything personally. Um, because when I can not take something personally, then I can be curious about what you have to say, even if it's wildly different than what I might believe. Don't take anything personally because mm-hmm. another person's perception of how they see you or see your belief system is not a reflection on you. It's a reflection on yes. it's basically how they see the world. And if we look at it from a different perspective, if we look at it, that that individual presenting a different perspective is in service to us because they may be making us aware of a, a part of ourselves that we need to look at. Exactly. And this all goes into the work that Debbie Ford did with the shadow element with Mm -hmm. her her book, the the dark side of the light chasers and with Carl Jung did with shadow Jung defined shadow is, is the things that we do not want to be. And I think I'm paraphrasing that. Um, so even if an individual presents a very uh, different point of view, it can still be a gift because it's in service to us. Even then it's all great. You know, if we, we choose to look at it that way and this, and it also depersonalizes the interaction. The other mm-hmm. one I like is always do your best, but your yes. best may be defined under different circumstances. Exactly. So just do your best given yep. the, the circumstances or hand of cards you've been dealt. And that, mm-hmm. that definition or the benchmark for, for the threshold for best 
may be different depending on the circumstances that right. you're dealing with. Right. Yeah. My best today isn't going to be the same as it was yesterday. It won't be the same tomorrow, but you know, give what I have to give today and, and yep. trust that I will have more or I will have the right amount tomorrow mm -hmm. to do the same. And yeah, I think it's just, it's really beautiful because within that context, critical thinking can thrive. And I think what, what's, what's coming up as you're talking about this is, is an essential ingredient to critical thinking is trust, right? Exactly. Like I, I need to not be, I need to not be in a space where I fear for my safety, whether that's emotional safety, physical safety, intellectual safety, whatever. Um, and once I can be there, then I can be open. I can, you know, I can activate, you know, I, I'm no neuroscientist, right? You know, I can activate, you know, my, my, my critical thinking brain and, and sort of reduce my, my threat response brain. I, I've worked as a therapist as well for individuals mm -hmm. with anxiety or history of panic disorder is they do not see the world as a safe place. Their belief system is geared towards that perspective. Yep. And what his therapists and his coaches, knowing that history, what first thing we need to do before we can be effective with anything is to ensure that we are creating a very safe, a very nurturing, and a very consistent environment. Mm -hmm. More safe a client feels with you, the more that they're going to disclose, the more that they're going to show their authentic self, and the more they're probably going to be receptive to engaging in critical thinking, not only about yeah. how they see the world, but how others see them. Exactly. Yeah. The more, the more they'll learn. Mm -hmm. Because the more they can activate their own curiosity and, and when you can activate your own curiosity and you're in a safe place, you can point that curiosity right at yourself and you can see things that you wouldn't have seen otherwise. This segues into my next question. Yep. On your website, I read the following passage and this really mm -hmm. resonated with me. Mm -hmm. Effective leadership starts with curiosity about ourselves and our unique strengths. So a two-part question, what have sure. you found to be the best strategies to help clients in your coaching practice develop curiosity of self and the self-curiosity a prerequisite for developing critical thinking skills? Ooh. So I'm going to answer them in reverse order, if that's okay. Um, because I think, uh, I, I think self-curiosity, I don't know that it's a prerequisite to developing critical thinking skills. Um, I think it helps for sure. Um, and I think that the critical thinking skills can be enriched once you've developed some self-curiosity. Um, so, so, so I think it's an, it's a soft no on, on the second one. Um, but as far as developing critical thinking or sorry, developing curiosity about oneself and, and the best way to do it, I, I think. I think you hit the nail on the head earlier when you said, um, anxiety and a lack of safety, um, makes it so that all we can see is threat. And when all we can see is threat, we, we harden what we believe and, and, and you know this, right? Because you're, you, you know more about the human brain than I do. Um, but, you know, we make up stories about, you know, what's causing a threat or what's there, or what isn't there. And, and because the stories are made up in our, our thinking brain, our critical, our, our cognitive brain to explain the threat and the alarm that we feel in, in, you know, our reptile brain, 
it doesn't matter if they're real or if they're made up or if they're true or how true they are. We believe them because they came from inside us. And, and let me tell you, like, I spent a really, really long time believing a lot of ridiculous stories about the threats that I was in the middle of, um, and knowing for absolute certain that they were true because I thought them up. And, and when I was in those spaces, I didn't have the capacity to be curious about my environment, about what was actually going on, about who I was being in that moment and how I was showing up for other people. And it wasn't until I was able to, to really examine the safety and, and work with, you know, people, therapists, coaches, others who could create and hold. And I think that's important. It's not just create, but create and hold those safe spaces, um, that would allow me to bravely go beyond that and, and make no mistake, self-curiosity, especially when you're not accustomed to it is an act of incredible bravery. Mm -hmm. So for me, the, the truth is creating and holding that space and being patient and allowing someone to look around. It's sort of like an analogy that's coming to me right now is, is, um, I don't know if you've, if you've ever had cats. Um, I'm a, I, I've always had cats and you know, when you first bring them home from, from the shelter, so we've always had shelter cats. When you first bring them home from the shelter, you know, you, you just sort of open the box and, and let them go. Right. And probably for a couple hours, they're going to just stay in the box because that's what they're used to. And then, you know, you walk away and a couple hours later you walk back and it's like, oh, they're not in the box anymore. I'm not sure where they are, but I know they're safe. And, and that's that exploration eventually, maybe it's later that day, maybe it's in a couple days, who knows, eventually they start to interact and they form that relationship and, and, and it's creating and holding that safe space to allow people to, to be curious about themselves and their environment. Who am I in this space? And I think when you do that, Todd, for me, it allows the individual to quiet their mind, go within, and yeah. many times the answers that they need to know about themselves are within, but yeah. we need to give them that quiet space to do that. The other thing you mentioned, cats, I have always been a cat lover. Um, mm. I've had cats for 27 years, although mm -hmm. with Zoe, with my last cat, she had transitioned about a, over a year ago, and we haven't had any, any pets since. But one of the things is that I've learned about cats is that, you know, you need to create as much safety for them as we would for individuals who are having mm -hmm. challenges with anxiety, abandonment issues. Mm -hmm. But one, one cat that we had, and this was Zoe's companion mate, a cat by the name of Nitsky, was very shy, very skittish. So mm -hmm. I, I, left her, I left her alone when she first came to, her, came to our house. But then I gradually went over and started talking very softly to her and said, look, this is a safe place. You can explore to the extent that you're comfortable exploring. You can, this is your home. And mm -hmm. gradually she came out and she, she was still shy, but she socialized. Mm -hmm. And there were some, several times she would jump on the bed with me or jump in my lap or, or sit next to me. And, you know, it, it, cats may not understand language, but they mm -hmm. understand kindness. They can yes. respond to vo voice tone. So mm -hmm. can humans. Yes. If you have somebody who's not feeling safe, or not feeling anxious, and you want them to begin to engage in a very deep dive into themselves, which, as you said, is, is scarier than hell, because mm -hmm. we're taking a look at everything, both the yin and the yang, and, and that's mm -hmm. that's tough. 
to be able to do that objectively and to apply that critical thinking to ourselves. But once we create that space and they feel safe, they're not so concerned about being safe anymore. They can objectively take a look at everything that's coming coming forth at them, yeah. beliefs, input, and say, okay, what applies, what doesn't apply, what can I leave alone? Absolutely. You know, I was, um, I love that. That just, that makes an awful lot of sense. And, you know, before, before I started my, my coaching education, I was in a seminar, um, with, uh, oh, the, the fellow's name was Peter Bregman. And I don't remember the name of his book, but I remember what he said. Um, and he said this line specifically, uh, if you're willing to feel everything, you can do anything. And, and I remember when he said it, I thought, thanks. I hate that. Oh, I hate that. Cause I can think of dozens of things that I felt before that I never want to feel again. And I can probably mm -hmm. think of another dozen that I've never felt that I don't want to feel. And, and the further along I've gone and the more curious I've become about myself, the easier it is to be with those things that we don't want to be with. And the more you learn about yourself and how you show up and what's important to you in those moments. And I think, um, so now I, you know, I, I'm still very challenged by that quote, but I don't hate it. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm not at that point where I, I'm willing to feel absolutely anything and, and, you know, pain is fantastic. And, you know, cause I know folks who have gone, you know, really deeply into somatic experience who, who understand this. Um, and I'm still a novice, but, but wow, there's, there's truth and wisdom in ourselves. Um, one of the hallmarks of the coaching school that I went to also is that people are naturally creative, resourceful, and whole. So you are, and I am, and my clients are, and everyone is. And my job as a coach isn't to fix someone or to give them advice or to, uh, or to even, you know, really help them at all. It's really to be there and witness with them as they unfold their map and discover their own journey. And it's not for me to push them in one direction or another. It's, it's for me to, to be there and help them unfold map because that's, that's where the wisdom is. Yeah. I mean, I've always thought as a therapist, as a teacher, my job was to plant seeds, was to open doors, yeah. uh, you know, from different perspectives and give my clients or empower my clients and empower my students to walk through the door that speaks mm -hmm. to them. The other thing about advice, I'm with you on advice because I, I believe that giving advice can be disempowering in a lot of ways. Because if I give you advice and you follow the advice and you don't have any internal locus of control, you don't believe that you have the yep. self-efficacy to affect change in the world, you're going to think mm -hmm. you did well because it was my advice that right. you followed that got you there. But then guess what? If my advice, you know, you know, turns to crap, then who do you got to blame? You don't have yourself to look at. You got me right. to blame because I gave you the advice. Yeah. So I make, I always make suggestions yeah. and I, I, we talk about consequential thinking. What are the consequences going to be if you take this path, positive yes. or negative? Yes. And, but you get to choose. Exactly. You get to choose. It's, it's exactly. respecting client autonomy, whether it's in coaching or whether it's in therapy. It's, it's an yeah. ethical right of clients to self-determine. Well, and I think, I think you've hit on something really important within the context of critical thinking too, because what it seems to me that, that once someone has that agency, that self-efficacy, then it's easier to engage 
in, in critical thinking, in, you know, meaningful, transformative debate, right? Creative conflict can exist within that, within that space. And, and that's, that's kind of the holy grail, isn't it? Because when we can disagree and, and, and have, create a creative and, and meaningful space and learn something by building on, onto our disagreements rather than just building onto the things that we agree with, then, then we create something that didn't exist before. Yeah. It's, it's not about defending territory or drawing lines yeah. in the sands. It's, it's about finding common ground within the territory that we each occupy yeah. and just see where there's similarities and see if we can work through the differences or at least be able to live with those differences and yeah. say, okay, it's not going to affect our relationship. Mm -hmm. I can respect your perspective. And, you know, but this is, you know, this is how I see the world. And as long as we can coexist and mm -hmm. begin to learn from each other's perspectives and integrate what makes sense to us, that's yeah. also another key of critical thinking as well, too, to me, is to be able to do that. But I you agree. have to be able to create a space of listening uh, as opposed to, um, you know, def defensiveness or, or mm -hmm. in-your-face confrontation is basically going to destroy relationships mm -hmm. before they I even agree. begin. Exactly. Exactly. It's not, it's not you versus me. It's you and me versus the, the problem. Mm -hmm. And we may approach it differently, but that doesn't mean that we're, that doesn't mean that either one of us is wrong. Well, and if you look at the fact how we do, how we develop teams, I wouldn't yeah. want to have, have a team of all individuals who thought like me. Nope. Because if we encounter a perspective that requires a different train of thought or a different philosophy, then my like-minded team has, yeah. then it's not going to work. So yep. I, I want to have diverse individuals on that team. Mm -hmm. I want to have individuals who are more competent than me in the areas that I'm deficient in, or who are just better than me in general, because what they bring to the table, whether it's in the context of critical thinking or, you know, helping an organization meet a goal or, or a mission uh, mm -hmm. statement, uh, what they bring to the table is going to be better collectively than any one of us can bring separately. And as, and as a leader, it's like, hey, you know, you celebrate that, you know, because you've got people who are making yep. you look good in the process. And, and the, the flip side really is, is, um, is how insecurity is the poison pill of leadership, mm -hmm. right? Because if I'm not open to being challenged by the people who I'm leading, then we're stuck and I'm the bottleneck, no matter what I, like, no matter how smart I am, no matter how good I am, I'm, I'm never going to be the absolute best and the absolute authority on absolutely everything. It's just not possible. No. Yeah. And, and I tell my students that I firmly believe in the mantra of this podcast is we're all students and teachers. So let's learn yeah. from each other. I love that. And, and. I tell my students, I'm not too old to, to learn from you, and you're you're not too young to learn from me. I I don't have all the answers, but together we might be able to come close. And I want you to question me. Don't just because I just have the title of teacher doesn't mean you can't question me. You develop critical thinking through curiosity. Yeah. By asking questions to say, wait a minute, could this perspective possibly fit better than the one that you're presenting? And then we talk about it as a group. We'll throw it out as a group. What do you guys think? And that together we come up with a lot of different points of view that make the conversation much richer and also mm -hmm. gets me thinking about how I can look at the topic that I'm presenting differently. 
what a gift to your students that is. I love that. That's, I kind of yeah. wish I could be in one of your classes. That's really, really beautiful, Dave. Yeah, it's, you know, they, they I have a blast with them. I mean, they keep me yeah. young and, and they enrich <laughs> me, but they also keep me on my toes and they always hone my critical thinking skills. They always awesome. get me thinking about, about different perspectives. So speaking of more about critical thinking, yes, I know we talked about this before we started recording. Do you think critical thinking has become a lost art in a society? And if so, what do you think are the factors that have contributed to that? Who, and you know, it's interesting because as we've had this conversation, I think my answer might be a little different than it was at the beginning before we started recording. But, um, I do think that, uh, that identity and that defensiveness and insecurity, like we are in a rapidly, rapidly changing world and, and it's so difficult for so many of us to, to navigate that. Um, you know, a, a really, really good friend of mine, uh, said to me the other day and I thought, oh my goodness, that's so true. Said to me, you know, capitalism is exhausting and, uh, and it is to keep up with. And, and that's just one of the things that's exhausting in our world. Um, and the more difficult and change, the more difficult change we, we experience around us, the more prone perhaps we are to, to harden our shell and to build armor and to, to dig in our perspective. Um, so at the beginning of this call, I thought, oh, well, you know, because, you know, I think I said, it's, uh, it, it's, um, liberal arts isn't really the thing that it was when I was in school and, and there's critical thinking that happens there, but I think it's beyond that. Um, because I think that as, as the roles change and as the world changes and as um, as it becomes more and more difficult to really eke out a living within the context of, of the world. Like, I know I, you know, I'm a generation Xer and, you know, when I went to university, I paid $1,500 a semester or something like that. It was something, it was nothing for tuition, right. Compared to what people are paying today. Um, you know, I grew up at a time where I could buy a house because, you know, I, I got a job and, and just there's, there's generations behind me who can't do these things because the economics are just completely different and the stress is so much higher. So I'm not surprised that the critical thinking has, has sort of left us behind because it almost feels like a luxury. Um, and that's unfortunate because it's the critical thinking that's going to help us fix this. What we've got are systemic problems. I believe this, what we've got are systemic problems and without the critical thinking, we'll never get out of them. So it's essential. It's an essential skill. And I believe in looking at things from a systemic perspective, because usually it's something that is flawed with the system that needs to be changed. It isn't the person within the system. It's exactly. the system itself that needs to be fixed. Yes. And that's where critical thinking come in. We used to have TQM, total quality management teams, where we work, where we would be charged with doing critical thinking to evaluate some aspect of organizational function and to see what we could do to make it better. What were some of the obstacles that were allowing that aspect of the organization not to reach their goals and what we could do mm -hmm. to fix it? What suggestions we had? Critical thinking was intrinsic. Yeah. It was a mandate in all of those organizational teams. And I mm -hmm. think you're right. I think individuals now, particularly, I, I look at the, my, the college students that I deal mm -hmm. with, 
they're dealing with challenges, Todd. I never had to deal with when I was their age. Right. And you never had to deal with. So, right. and they're so, they're so grounded in just, I think, trying to survive all that, mm -hmm. that critical thinking, they may, critical thinking just becomes, like you said, um, uh, not even something that is a, mm -hmm. considered to be a luxury anymore. Because right? yeah. they're too busy trying to just do the day-to-day -day piece of survival. Right. The world is literally on fire. What, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's, it's very, very hard to, to, to think about anything else but survival in situations yep. like that. Yep. Yeah. Well, thank you for all of your, your wisdom and input on critical thinking. And um, so I'm going to ask just to give our listeners one or two takeaways from your own life experiences that you believe can help them achieve their life goals or transcend life challenges. Oh, wow. Where would I go with that one? Um, you know, I think there's a couple things. Um, for me, a big aha was to pay attention when something doesn't feel right. Because I think that a lot of us, especially a lot of us in corporate, um, are, are just trained to, to just push through it, just, you know, just do it. And, and particularly men, um, by the way, you know, like, just don't think about it. Don't show emotion, just push through it. And, and I think pay attention to yourself when something feels wrong, because if you can cultivate just a little bit of curiosity in those moments, what you'll find out is that there's a values misalignment. Most of the time, something that's important to me isn't important to the situation. And, and then I can make a decision based on that information. And that's, it's really kind of like the first spark of, of that self-curiosity, because then you can start asking, well, wait a minute, why does this feel wrong? What's important to me here? And, and when I'm seeing values, not, not, you know, not in a morals or an ethics kind of way, just like what's really genuinely important to me, just me not what I think ought to be important to me, like without any judgment whatsoever. And, and I think that's, yeah, if I, if I were to say just one thing, I think that that would be it because when something feels wrong, there's something there, examine it. Don't just let it go. And let your intuition be your guide as well, too, yes. because many times our intuition, when we trust our intuition, we see that it's in alignment with our core values. It's in alignment yep. of exactly with what's going on in that, yep. in our lives at that particular time. So, mm -hmm. well, thank you for that, Todd. And, um, one last question, and sure. then I'm going to let you go. Okay. Um, if people want to contact you, know more about your services or any events or projects that you currently go, got going on, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Uh, probably the best way would be on my website. Um, you can find me at www.toddcargas.com. My last name is spelled K-A-R-G-E-S. So T-O-D-D-K-A-R-G-E-S.com. Um, there's contact information there, uh, a little bit about, you know, who I am, what's important to me, the folks that I work with. Um, and, uh, you know, or check out the Curious Leaders Path on YouTube. All of our back episodes are there too. So, uh, yeah. And thank you for that. I appreciate it. And thank you. I really appreciate you. This was a great conversation. Yes, I, and Todd, I appreciate you and, and your, what you bring to the table. This was a great conversation, yeah. and we're going to have to do this again at some point. So I'd love that. Me, me too. Awesome. So with that, 
Todd, thank you so much for being on the Teaching Journeys podcast today. And with that, that is a wrap on another episode of the Teaching Journeys podcast. I'm your host, Dave Roberts, wishing you peace. Thank you for listening to this episode. And please remember to share this podcast with your family, friends, and colleagues. And don't forget to leave a rating, review, or both.